Hi. Hello. How are you? Good, good. You? Good, good. Um, can you introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. Hi, I'm Chris Ricard. I am a, well, yeah, an atheist, and I am also a member of the Atheist Republic community. <laughs> and you're, a pa you're, um, you're an Atheist Republic patron, so thank you so much for that. And this is one of the discussions that we have with um, Atheist Republic patrons whenever they request that. So, um, so you requested that discussion, which I was very happy that you requested that because I always uh, enjoy your comments. And, you know, sometimes I don't get to respond to them, but I always enjoy them. So I was always looking forward to talking to you. So thank you for reaching out to me to have this discussion, especially because of some things that you mentioned to me, you mentioned to me about your background. You used to be a devout Christian and you also wanted to become a pastor at some point. Is that correct? But now you're an atheist activist. Yes, that is correct. I was, when I was about 12, I was very interested in becoming a pastor, so I talked to my pastor at my church, and he told me that I should understand the Word of God, so I said, okay, so I'll read the Bible. So I read the Bible, and the first time I read the Bible, I was like, wow, this thing is fucked up. Okay, well, but, you know, <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was your first reaction, that this is fucked up? Yes, my very first reaction after reading the Bible from cover to cover was, wow, this is fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay. Which, yeah. oh, which part was fucked up? Yeah. Um, oh, God, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I'm gonna, uh, even the parts, to, the love your neighbor parts and the love your enemy forgive everybody even those parts you found fucked up the only reason i found those parts fucked up is because even though they're technically good parts they're marred by all the crappy things jesus said pretty much right after and before that right like like uh the whole bit about what well, jesus you know christians always tell you that jesus is just all this is really good guy he's so loving and all this other other stuff well then you got the, I'm not here to bring peace, but a sword or... Right. You know, I, I bring that up all the time. People tell me you don't understand that every time I bring it up. But then I ex tell them to explain to me why this is okay. And they never do, really. But it's, but, it's always, you just don't understand. You, you just you're don't just understand. Yes, you just you just don't understand. You're just an idiot. That's the only response. And yeah, and then you try to get them all explain it to me, and they don't have any real good explanation. Um, but did you become? Uh, why did you become a devout Christian at that age? Were your parents Christian? Yes, actually, my mom she was an Episcopalian. I was I've actually I was actually baptized in the Catholic faith when I was a baby. My right. mom hated that. My dad did it behind her back. And I was also baptized in the, I believe it was the Episcopalian faith. Mm. So um, it's very interesting because you just read the Bible yourself, right? Because a lot of people say that if you uh, misunderstand the Bible, it's because, oh, your sect um, gave you the wrong in, in, you know, teaching and they didn't explain it to you well. Our sect is the correct sect. 
you're just criticizing a version of Christianity is not that it's not correct version of Christianity. But you just read the Bible. Like it's not like yeah. right? You just picked it up yourself. I mean, this is the this is what you got out of it, just reading it cover to cover yourself, right? I mean, let me know what you think about this because the best you could say about the authors of the Quran and the Bible, even if if the, what you're supposed to get out of it is what those Christian apologists that make it sound all lovey-dovey, if that's what you're supposed to get out of it, not what you actually, not the first impression that you got when you read it, then the best thing you can say about the authors, whoever the author is, is that they are shitty communicators, right? The, the worst thing and the most accurate thing you could say is that this is a barbaric, backward, shitty, violent book, right? But the best you could say is that it's not a barbaric, shitty, backward book that should be dismissed and abandoned, but the people that wrote it just didn't know how to write properly, right? That's the best you could say about it, right? It is literally the best thing you could say about it right there. It's like, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, they did live 2,000 years ago, and they obviously didn't understand, you know, how things worked back then. So, right. yeah, they were a little fucked up, but eh, I'm sure we just shouldn't hold it against them. Right. Well, I mean, to be fair, the people that wrote the Bible are not the people that the Christians tell us that wrote the Bible, right? It's not the... Uh, you know, the name of the Gospels are just added on later, right? The people that, you know, uh, the followers of Jesus, probably if if the stories or any of it is real, there, there weren't people that could read and write, right? Only scholars could read and write, right, uh, at that time. So the people that did write the Bible, to be fair to them, relative to other people at the time, probably were academics, right? Like to pe just being yeah. able to write, read and write was pretty... Um, unique, right? So they were academics, but given the standard of our time today, their understanding of the universe and everything else was very limited. And their agenda in writing, in accepting which parts of the Bible gets canonized was very political. Like, we know that it was political. Right? Oh, yes, it was extremely political. Yeah. And speaking of the people who wrote the Bible, or we don't actually have any. Um, we don't have. A, a, we really don't have any original text from who wrote the Bible. Right. I believe, if I remember correctly, from what I read, is that the people, the from the at least from the New Testament, hmm. everything that we've read about Jesus was written four hundred years after his death. So that's kind of interesting that these people who never met him. Know an awful, awful lot about him. Right, right, right. I mean, the first, the first writings of Jesus, the earliest one is thirty years, right? But that's not that much text there. Most of it came no. a lot later. Yeah. Um, okay, so you read the Bible and you were like, okay, what the hell? What the hell is this? And then what did you do? Did you go to the? Did you go to confront the, everybody, or what happened? No, actually, what happened was, you know, since I was still a devout Christian and I was still interested in becoming pastor, you know, the whole cognitive dissonance thing. I was like, right. ah, I'm just gonna, you know, forget about this. And then <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I totally misinterpreted it. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure that there's, I'm sure I should just, you know, try to figure out, figure this out. So, mm. and so I read the Bible again 
But this time after I read the Bible, I took a little notebook and I wrote down everything that I thought was messed up in the Bible. Everything, all the way from, I think, Abraham going to sacrifice his son. I don't remember. Jacob, I think his son's name was. I don't remember. It depends on who you talk to. Depends I, on who you talk to, Arabs or um, the Arabs or the Jews, or now the Muslims or the Christians, right? Um, because the, Abraham and Isaac, if I remember correctly, right? So Christians, Abraham. Christians and Jews think it was uh, Isaac. Um, Muslims and Muslims think that it was Ishmael. Ishmael. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, they don't call him Ishmael. They call him Ismail, right? Is that the, is Ishmael the same thing? Because I we we learn about this story as Ishmael, Abraham's son. But I think in Arab is the same. In Arabic, is called Ismail. I think it's the same Arabic Ismail. Yeah, a lot of the things that a lot of the words that is sh, it sounds like sh in Jew, with the Jews. It sounds like. S- with the Arabs, the same words like shalom and salam. I don't know what that is, what that way that is. But go on, okay. What happened then? So you know all the stuff that I wrote down, all the stuff I didn't agree with, like you know God blaming God, pretty much blaming Eve for the whole apple thing, even though he's the one who put the apple and apple tr- apple there in the first place, right. and then put the serpent in there in the first place, so he could have just prevented the whole thing by not putting anything in there, right? You know, all the way, you know. Then there's the book of Job, Jonah, right, Dan- right, right. Uh, Daniel, the whole uh, oh, the first four books of the Bible, Genesis, well, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Numbers. You know, one thing interesting about Genesis is that it's a mixture of multiple different books, right? So different stories and different gods that turn into one god, right? Uh, Elohim and Yahweh used to be different gods, and now they're like kind of merging together. And you can kind of uh, see that happening in Genesis, um, um, you know, where the first part of the Genesis it's a different kind of God. If you if you if you read it, it's a God that says, "Let there be this, and let there be that, and let there be light, let there be blah blah blah," and th- things just become right. So it's not a, it's not a, it's not like a kind of a God that it's not very human like. Right? It's like a God that is just out there in the universe and just think things and just things become because just he just wants them to be right. But then if you go to Genesis. You know, if uh, a little bit read a little bit more, then you have another God that makes things out of mud and then looks for Adam in the garden um, or like takes out a rib and turns it into like it's using his hands and it's more more, you know, human like. Like it's a different this is a different kind of God. You know, if you know uh, you can see and the, the, the way that God is referred to all of a sudden is different as well. So, like these kind of little evidence, like these and many other analysis like this, um, you know, shows a lot of you know historians that this was two different books that were two different stories that were merged together. There's many examples like this, like even with um, the, the 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 ark, right? The animals were there two, uh, one of two of uh, one pair of each animal, 
or was it you know just a pair of each in a non-clean animal and seven of all clean animals right like because so you can see that there's contradictions there as well and again these were different stories but go on sorry oh no that's fine so then like you know you got the uh all the then you got all the commandments i mean the first three commandments are about control yeah it's like god saying don't forget to worship me right and uh you know oh yeah you know don't don't murder and all that sort of fun stuff but for some reason he must he must have been having an off day because he forgot rape and slavery right you know that could have been like the first two commandments or something but that would contradict the rest of the Bible, which promotes slavery, which includes sex slavery. But but yeah. it's interesting because the the first few that you mentioned is anti the first commandments in the you know the first commandment is anti free speech, exactly. right? It's which Thou is very shalt not have any other gods before me. Right, it's anti freedom it of religion, and then you know not uh, taking the Lord's name in vain is also that's also anti free speech. Which is yeah. which is very interesting because the enlightened values that made Western countries great, the values that we celebrate today, a lot of Christians try to claim that it's Christianity that made the West great. But what you see in the first commandments is goes against one of the most two of the most fundamental parts of enlightened values, which completely contradict, uh, you know, Christianity and what Christianity and Judaism stand for. And Islam, right? Yes, exactly. Because yeah. you know, in the uh, I believe in the uh, the United States Constitution, at least from the United States Constitution, mm-hmm. the very first sentence is, "We the people believe these truths to be self-evident that all people are created equal." Right. And one of the very first, the very first amendment is about free speech, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of press and stuff like that. Well, if you uh, read the first, very first three commandments of the Bible, you know, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, thou shalt not take the the Lord's name in vain, and uh, thou shalt remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, Mm. you know, you're... um, basically marring free speech right there right. you're marring freedom of expression and you're also marring freedom of religion right right um of dem- what almost all western democracy right so so you wrote that on the you wrote all of that down then what happened what did you do next so i wrote that down and i decided to well, first I went seeking for answers, you know, asking churchgoers these questions that I had, like, you know, if you, you say that God is this all-loving being and stuff like that, so why would he do all this stuff? And the best answer I, the best answer I got was, well, you just have to have faith. Or who are, who are we to question God's plans? You know, that, the whole, that whole bit right there, that's right. ridiculous. So then I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to get any answers from these guys. I'm just going to seek out the answer for myself right. so then i started delving into different uh religions so to speak you know i went to first i went tried different versions of christianity you know there's uh 
Lutheran, Protestant. Uh, well, that's pretty much the only two I actually went to was Lutheran and Protestant because I was already a uh, Episcopalian. Catholic. Yeah, cat. Well, my dad, my dad was Catholic, so I can just I would just be able to talk to him about that. Mm. Did you, did your dad and did your mom and dad were they open to your questions? How did they react? Uh my dad. All he said was come to the church with me, and my mom basically she was okay with it, but she didn't really have any answers that I was looking for. Right, but they didn't. They didn't shame you or do anything. Like they didn't. No. no. Okay. No. Good. Good. No. Good. Good. That's nice. Yes, that that is. Okay. So. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, no. Go on. Go. On. I want. I want to see what happens next. Yeah. When you, I okay. want to see your path to atheism. Okay. So. Then I that so I started going to different religions. Like I said, you know, I delved in a little bit of uh. Wiccan and Satanism and oh yeah, I went, I went all over the place. I uh, read, I read a little bit of Judaism, you know. Read, I delved in a little bit of Islam too to see what was going on there. Right. You know, I, not really a whole lot, you know, just a little bit. Okay. What What did you think about Islam when you tried it out? When you, uh. I, I couldn't decide what religion is more barbaric. You <laughs> couldn't figure it out. I mean, you have Christianity that basically says, uh, you know, hey, hey, as long as God, as long as God commands that you can beat the shit out of your slave, just don't kill your slave. Then you'll be in trouble. You can beat the shit out of your slave, just yeah. don't kill your slave, and you'll be okay. Right. But then you got on the other hand, you got Islam that basically says you can beat your wife. And we're okay with that. You know? No, it's actually worse than that. It doesn't say we're okay with that. It says we sh you should be. A lot of people oh, like oh, dang. a lot of people say a lot of people say that the Quran says it's okay to beat your wife. I was like, no, 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 no. Read it again. It doesn't say it's okay to beat your wife. It's a commandment to beat your <laughs> wife if you fear disobedience. Oh. Right, because it says like if basically the commandment is that if you fear disobedience from you, actually, I guess the more you look, think about it, the more brutal it is, because it doesn't even say beat your disobedient wives. It says if you fear disobedience, so it doesn't even have to get to the disobedience part. But Muslims say it's actually not that bad because it has two first steps before it gets to the beating part. First, you have to, you know, uh, you know. I talk to her or like abandon her from your bed and then if those methods don't work then you could then you should start beating her but uh, yeah. yeah but did, but a lot of a lot of atheists think well no you can't say islam is more barbaric again this is like comparing aids and cancer and deciding which one is worse and and you can't say which one is worse cancer is worse right but that if you say i think islam is worse um and i will tell you why i think islam is worse uh, but if I say Islam is worse, that's not an endorsement of Christianity. Just like if I say cancer is worse than AIDS, that doesn't mean I'm pro-AIDS, right? <laughs> right? No, <not>. <laughs> right. Both. So, right. No one wants AIDS and no one wants cancer. We exactly. all want to get rid of that. Exactly. But the, 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 the reason why I think 
um, Islam is more a lot more damaging is that if you could very if you could simplify you know the essence of Christianity and the essence of Islam if you wanted to really really simplify it and get to the core of the impact of you know what what are you supposed to do you could you could summarize Christianity as do what Jesus did right and said right and the summary of Islam is do what Muhammad did and said, right? That's the summary, right? That's the essence of both of them when it comes to at least not not in belief, but at least in what you're supposed to be doing, right? And if you look at Jesus and Muhammad, Jesus never got to rule. He was crucified before his rebellion was successful. And I know Christians will say that he was that crucifixion was part of a plan. But if any of the story is true, to me it seems like it was a planned rebellion and it failed. They crucified him and they changed the narrative to be like, oh, that was part of his plan anyway, right? Uh, but Muhammad was... So basically, look, Jesus and Muhammad are in that, in that point are very similar because they were both people, religious people at their time that were rebelling against the religious authorities at their time. Right, they were both yeah. the story. The both of them is going. They're, they're rebelling. Uh, the difference is that Jesus was defeated. They captured him. They crucified him. Muhammad was successful. His rebellion was successful, and he became a ruler. And because Muhammad became a ruler, following the way of Muhammad includes a lot of instructions on how to rule. Um. And that's what I know Christianity is also very political. There are a lot of verses in the Bible that you can use for politics. But Islam is a way more political religion than Christianity is. Way more political, right? And it take it uh, the life of Muhammad is, is way longer and it includes a lot of details about every fucking aspect of your life. Like even I'm not exaggerating, but from wiping how to wipe your ass to how to Fuck your woman. Every single thing, there is a instruction for it, right? So when people say oh, Islam is not a, you know, true Islam is not political, that's bullshit because Islam is not only political religion. Islam is an everything religion. Islam covers, you know, your sex life, uh, your political life, your economical life, your family life, your travel. Your prayer, everything there's instructions for. So of course politics is also including it. And that's why I think Islam is a more dangerous ideology than Christianity. But again, that's not an endorsement of Christianity. But go on, sorry. No, oh. <coughs> no worries. Yeah. So you know, here's something I've always found interesting. You know how people you actually mention it that people say that Islam isn't political. Well, if Islam isn't political, then why is there Sharia law? Right. What, what's the point? If it's not political, what's the point of Sharia law? Like, let people live how they want to live. You know? Right. Well, I mean, depending on the Muslim you talk to, they will have a different answer for you, right? So if you talk to a, a Western mo uh, moderate type um, wishy-washy Muslim, they will say, like, oh, they're just suggestions. If you talk to, I don't know, somebody else, I'm like, well, yeah, that's 
that's the rule of law, but only if you have an Islamic regime, which is still bullshit, right? Um, if you talk to a Shia, you say, well, those, the Sharia, Shia, non-reliant Faqih Shia, they might say that you need to wait for the Mahdi to come back for you to be able to enforce those laws. So depends depends on the type of Muslim you talk to. Uh, they will have different answers. And I've heard, I think, all of them. So uh, I think, oh. I, yeah, go on, sorry. Oh, no, it's, it's okay. So I have actually, I always think the uh, Western, the more Western Muslims are kind of, I don't know, interesting because they're the one, they're, they're usually the ones that are all about Islamophobia, Islamophobia and stuff like that. You can't criticize Islam at all, yeah. otherwise it's Islamophobia, but you can criticize the shit out of Christianity and they're perfectly fine and dandy with that. Right. So what's well, the double standard at, you know? One one another line that I'm that I hear a lot is that you can criticize Islam, but you're not allowed to mock or insult Islam. And I say bullshit. Oh, if, definitely. I will if, mock the shit out of any religion yeah, out there. Right. Like, in fact, if you want to draw the line at mocking and insulting, then I have to mock and insult it because that's the line. If you draw a line, I need to cross it. Right. Exactly. If you draw a line, I need to cross it. So before the line, before you drew the line, maybe I would have been less interested in mocking and insulting the religion. But as soon as you drew the line, now I see it as a duty for my for me to mock and insult your religion. Sorry, I, because you don't get to draw lines, right? No. You're in a free. You don't. You shouldn't be able to draw lines. That's nonsense. In fact, you know. I'm, I'm me me mocking and insulting your religion is now a statement. You should be mock and insult atheism. See, exactly. see what, what are we go ahead. For? See what we do. See see if we care. Right? Like we don't draw lines. Mock the shit out of us. Right? And you do. <laughs> right? In fact, you're wel we welcome it. We love it. Go ahead and do it more often. In fact, the more you mock atheism, the more people will notice about this. You know the fact that it's an option. So yeah. It's yeah. like the people that uh, the people that comment uh, all the uh, fundamental apologists that comment in all of atheist republic atheist republics posts because they pretty much comment on almost every single one of them that has to do with religion. You know the you, you know those apologist types that try to convince you that God exists and the atheists are stupid. Right. You know, so what? Make fun of us. We don't care. Right. In fact, I was worried because I saw there was this comedy club in the UK. They were setting some rules against about what you cannot say, and they they were like, "You," which is already ridiculous. Like, so no jokes against Islam, no jokes against Christianity, no jokes this, this, and this. And then there was like no jokes against atheists. And I'm like, "What? No, 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 no." We like, please, we do. We are not interested in this type of protection. Oh. Please do not involve us in all this sensitive PC bullshit culture. Make fun of atheism all you want. We we are not with the protection that we want is the fact that atheists are being uh, is punishable by death in thirteen countries, and the fact that they are discriminated and oppressed in almost every other country. That's what we want to talk about. We we if we. If we ever go as far as saying don't joke about atheism, that's when we know that we have gone too far. And this is we do not want we do not want to do that kind of advocacy. But go on. No, no. but that you actually, yeah, it's kind of weird though because you know in the United States, you know, I mean, 
being an atheist isn't necess- isn't punishable by death, but if say you're at a job, you know, mm. and most of the uh, most of the high, I mean, what I think is like more than half of the United States are Christians, I believe it is. I mean, oh yeah, a, way more. Yeah, more than it's like a very small percent of non secular or atheist people out there. But if you're at a job and you're trying to get a promotion, mm-hmm. and somebody finds out that you're an atheist, and mm-hmm. they and that's that's something you still have to keep close to your chest because mm-hmm. that's career suicide right there. You know, if anybody Dep- finds out, yeah, you're going you're going to you're. It, of course, you know it just still depends on where you are, who supervisors are, and what they believe in everything. But right. for the most part, it's career suicide. Where, where are you? Um, which state? I am from Wisconsin, actually. Okay. Are you okay? Okay. okay. And do do you um, do you do you tell people openly that you're an atheist? The only, really, the only time I tell people that I'm an atheist is if it gets brought up in the conversation. Right. I mean, Which, it's not, I'm not. You know, like I'm not going to go out there. I don't really go out and uh, shout yeah. it to the world. I'm an atheist. No, no, no. You know? No, but I think it's important to bring it up if it is a topic of a conversation because some people don't even bring it up there. And I think for the sake of normalizing it, it's good to. It's good that you bring it up if it is a topic of it because more people need to see like, oh, atheism apparently is a thing. Like it's. There's a lot of atheists out there. Like I think it helps, even if you're, even if it's just a simple. Like if people are talking about religion, if you, if somebody mentions that they're atheist, I think it really does keep. It does help normalize it the same way that when you know, think about the 1960s and 70s, how how far we've come since then when it comes to normalizing uh, gay relationships, right? And it it basically took as simple. It was. For a lot of people, it was just an act of just coming out and being open about who they are and what they want, right? And I think the more people did that, the more normalized it became and it made a huge difference. So not everybody has to be a full-on activist. It, it just it could be as simple as just making it known. Uh, if, it, if it doesn't cost you or if you're comfortable with it, it does help if more people are open about their atheism. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Because, like you said, it helps normalize. It, like you said, it helps normalize normalize it. Because right. you know, if we're all going to be trapped behind the proverbial wall, and then we, if we're not going to try to normalize it ourselves, because we all know religious people are going to try to push it back as much as they possibly can. I mean, not, I'm not saying every religious person. But the majority of them will be will just try to push us back as far as they possibly can. So as so as long as we speak speak up for ourselves and about our atheism, we normalize it, like you said, mm. bring it out in the open. And the more we bring this out in the open, the less they're able to push us back. Right, right. So, so you wanted to uh, before we actually go there. Can you tell me exactly at what point you became an atheist and how that happened? I'm very interested in. Oh, yeah, we got a little sidetracked, didn't we? Yeah. So I was about, actually, I was 15 when I became an atheist. And I've been an atheist for 17 years. I'm actually 31, going on 32 now. Oh. Wow. Yeah, atheist for, I was been, I've been an atheist for 17 years. And like I said, it's because of all the stuff that I wrote down. Because one of the, one of the biggest stories in the Bible... 
well, books, I should say, because it is a book of the Bible, is the book of Job. Now, you remember, uh, God is supposed to be omniscient, which, you know, everyone knows that it means he knows everything. He knows what's going to be, what's going to, what he knows everything that happened in the past, everything mm-hmm. that's happening in the present, and everything that's going to happen in the future. But in the book of Job, he uh, decides to make a bet with the devil. And he says, hey, dude, come here for a second. And it, he's like, uh, yeah, what? So I uh, see that guy right there. Yeah, he's one of my de- most devout followers. Uh, mm. so I'm going to, um, I'll tell you what, I'll make a bet with you. I, I, I'll get him to curse your name. And I forget what the entire bet was. Basically, I'll get him to curse right, your right. name. Like that, you know. And God's like, you're on. But here's the funny thing about that. If God is really omniscient, what was the purpose of the bet? Other than to be a dick to Job. He knows whether or not Job is going to remain faithful. So right, what's the right. purpose? Okay, okay. So, yeah, I haven't I haven't heard the excuse for this, but I think I've became, given that I've heard so many Christians and Muslims make up bullshit excuses, I became very good at kind of sometimes predicting what their bullshit response is going to be, right? Because remember, when you have magic and fairy tales on your side, you could explain everything because you're not limited to the laws of physics and laws of ra- you know rational discussion. So when you, when you remove that limit, then it's really easy to explain anything you want with, you know, you're just, your imagination is the only limit, right? And this is what one thing that they think they, because every time you criticize something, they will come up with an excuse, right? And if if you just gave me this and I wanted to come up with an excuse for it, and I was a Christian, this is what I would say, right? Um, Again, you know, so here's, this is why, yeah, God knew what he would do. But God had to show him why he was undeserving. He had to witness it himself. And God was showing it to him. And also making a... Making a so, yeah. Actually, making a point to the devil, would that be the case? No. Because they will think... Yeah. So, no. So, basically, basically, the whole... Uh, okay, actually, two bullshit answers. One is because God knew the answers, but He had to make it make a case for Him. But also because this is a, this became a story to teach the rest of us, to teach the rest of us that we only um, that w- why we should be thanking God, right? So the it's, the story served a purpose. See, I just made this stuff up, by the way. Right. I yeah. just made this up, but I'm just saying it's easy to just when you have when when you're in the realm of fantasy, it's easy to just come up with excuses. Right. But what and do you think about my what do you think about my excuses? You know, that actually as a set. The funny thing is, it actually sounds exactly like something an apologist would say. <laughs> okay, that is an insult. Right. I'm actually, I think I'm very good at bullshitting, um, you know, doing, you know, no, no, if I was a theist, I would be, I think it would be a very good uh, apologist. Because here, for example, this is what I told when I was a Muslim. This is what I told my religion teacher about Noah's Ark. And they actually were very impressed, right? Uh, I told them that I think the story of uh, Noah's Ark is about... The first cell, 
right? Because think about the primordial soup theory. Do you know what I'm referring to? Yes. Right. So the whole world was, most of the world was covered with water. What does that sound like? The flood, right? And what what do we know about the first cells? The first cells were like this, they, they were just like a vessel that, that they contained, that the first RNA and the DNA were uh, built in there, like made in there. And the what is the RNA and DNA other than the code for every, all life that came eventually out of that? So when you have a ship and you put all the animals in there, the ship represents the first cell and all the animals represent the DNA because the DNA is the code for, you know, all the animals that eventually evolved from that, right? So I like maybe the Noah's Ark story is referring to how life came to be. Right, because after the uh, what happened after the flood, the flood came down, and the, all, all the animals spread all over the world. All right, so and they loved it. But I'm just saying, like, I just made that shit up, and it sounds nice, it sounds profound. But again, when you have when you have fairy tales on your side, you could just make stuff up that sounds profound, but it's actually absolute nonsense, right? Absolute bullshit. Because, but you can do this when you have religion on your side, when you have magic on your side right exactly but does, doesn't that sound profound doesn't that make noah's ark sound more profound than it actually is you know yeah, it, <laughs> it actually makes it it makes it seem like it makes it sound like it makes a lot more sense <laughs> oh, which is why i am completely glad you're on our side because <laughs> if you're a christian you really would you would be a very dangerous christian <laughs> Especially if you really go down way deep, deep in the deep south of the United States, people are right. like, well, gee, golly whiz, that sure makes a lot of sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, we got. <laughs> okay, okay. So, no, but when, when was it the moment that you realized, like, at what did you, was it a moment or was it gradual? Were you doubting and then you decided that? Um, I, was, I was actually. After, like I said, after writing all that stuff down and after um, questioning everything, you know, I, it was sort of a gradual, a gradual. fast gradual. You know, it didn't take, it didn't, well, it's one of those things that didn't take like years or anything like that, but it took like maybe surprisingly a few months and that was it. Did you get, did you, did you tell anybody? Did you get any reaction from family or community? I, I just stopped going to church, even though see, I was, but I, I was still a minor, so I kind of had to mm. go to church because my mom would pretty much, you know, make me. I was going to the, uh, I believe it was called the Assembly of God Church in Portage. Mm. So I would go. She'd drop us off there, but me and some friends of mine who were pretty much the same same way I was, we'd just skip church and go somewhere else and <laughs> come back to. Like maybe fifteen minutes before we were supposed to uh, leave, and we were like, "Yeah, we're still here. We learned so much about God. It was so great." Uh, did, did your mom eventually find out that you're an atheist? Your parents? Yeah. I uh, what did they, What did they say? Um, she asked me why I was an atheist, and I said because there's I've after careful review of the Bible and everything like that. I was 
I haven't found any sort of reason to believe that this guy even exists for. Right. And what did what did she say? Did she did she do you still have a do you, are you, did that ruin your bond or anything or is everything fine? Yeah, no. Oh heavens no. She uh we're still um I still talk to her all the time and Great. go over to her house and everything like that. Great. I mean, awesome. I don't really talk to my dad as much as I talk to my mom, but that's for completely different reasons. Right. Yeah, no, I just, I, I just um, want to know, like, because I, it just breaks my heart when if if people, uh, parents abandon their kids because of this, you know, this is. But so I'm glad that that didn't happen. So uh, kudos to your mom. Um, that even if you have a different view, she still accepted you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you wanted to talk about... Some, oh, did you have anything else that you wanted to add to this before we talk... Because you wanted to talk about something about Iran as well, but did, before we go there, did you want to talk? add anything else about Christianity? Oh, I... Um, no... No, I think I'm good on uh, adding anything about adding anything on Christianity. Okay, okay. So, so, so you wanted to talk about something you mentioned, Matt, uh, somebody that you know. Yeah, he was um, well, my uh, old boss at my dishwasher job. Mm. He was from. He said he was from Persia, Iran, and his name was Manucher. Manucher and. I always, you know, I just wanted to know what, from a from from a person's perspective who actually did grow up in Iran, what was what it was like actually growing up in Iran? Because, like I said, you know, it's hard to understand what it's like growing up in a country as oppressive as Iran is from an outsider's perspective. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. By the way, for people that don't know, you're asking me this because I was um, I spent most of my I, I was born and raised in Iran, but but let me tell you something. It, it's it really depends. Your exp- like if I tell you about my experience, that's not going to reflect the average or anybody else's experience, right? Like, imagine if somebody you know was raised in a liberal family in California compared to somebody in a very christian family in Alabama right like if they talk talk to you about their experience um they wouldn't be representing what it's like to uh be living in the united states right because they have very different experiences right so yeah. my again my experience is very different from a very other other people's experiences, right? But I could tell you about my experience. Um, my experience is also very bizarre and unique, unfortunately. Um, and another thing um, I want to add to that is that one thing that pisses me off is when people think that somebody that is not born in Iran, couldn't understand anything about Iran. I mean, like, for example, you're asking me. So if I tell you, then you will learn, right? But then yes. if, but this is how you learn, by communicating. You could transfer experiences and people will understand things. And you could study books, look at data. And, but then, let me give you an example. Somebody that has spent their entire life studying Iran 
and analyzing the data and taking a degree in whatever specific, you know, like Iranian politics in the last 200 years or whatever, right? Bright uh, says, you know, research paper, multiple research papers on it, but has never stepped a foot in Iran ever. That person probably knows more about Iran than somebody that has lived their life entire, you know, in Iran. Oh. In fact, yeah, you know, so I think data is more valuable than experience. In fact, experiences give you bias, right? Um, and data are just, you know, thousands of experiences put together and analyzed from a more objective way, right? Um, in fact, I think my understanding of Iran is now a lot more objective after I left Iran than when I was still in Iran, in Iran, in Iran. And a lot of the history that we learned about Iran was completely biased, was censored, attitude changed. When I was in Iran and when I studied them outside of Iran, I got a more unbiased, objective version of it, right? Another example I can give you is, for example, in Philippines. Um, if I talked, I talked to a lot of Filipinos that think that corruption has gone up in Philippines. You know, it's rising. Corruption has been rising for the past 50 years or so. If you look at statistics, it's the completely opposite. It's been going on a decline. But because there's more reporting, there's more news on it, they feel like it's increasing, right? But a simple check, if you just simply check the data, if you just simply check the data, now you know more about corruption in the Philippines than the average Filipino. That's all it takes. Five, two minutes of research online. Now you know more about corruption in the Philippines than the average Filipino, right? Doesn't it's not that hard, right? Uh, any country, and just give you some examples of things that I know about, right? Um, any, you know, but I'm not saying talking to people's experience about people's experiences is not valuable, but make sure you understand that people's experiences does not really reflect reality. In fact, it shows it might very very much show a biased um, version of reality. And you have to take people's experiences and other, a lot of people's experiences and put them next to each other. And even that, even then you shouldn't be trusting them because the people that actually do scientific research and data collection, they know how to collect these data in a more objective, in a more unbiased way, right? But it's okay. good. But it's good to look at data and then also ask for people's experiences so that you could put them next to each other because then you could relate to the data that you're looking at. Another example that I want to give you is that a lot of people that leave Iran uh, are from the liberal upper class, right? And their experience in Iran is very, very, very different from the average experience of an Iranian in Iran, right? Like, so for example, I was, I, I mean, you know, there was in a in a secret ex-Muslim group, this Iranian was saying that, you know what, Iranians are mostly very liberal. They're not very religious. It's it's just the government that is very religious. And I used to think that as well. And I showed him pure research, pure data, like, no, actually, most Iranians are religious. Look, this is the data. And he was like, no, this is bullshit. That's not my experience. Right? Like, you have no idea. When I'm in Iran, we were always partying. You know, everybody hates Islam. Everybody that I know hates religion. It's just a crazy government. People are not very religious. And blah, blah, blah. I'm like, 
yeah, I know that's your experience. That was also my experience, okay? <laughs> but your experience and my experience doesn't reflect the rest of the fucking country. You lived in Upper Tehran, you were living in your own social bubble, and you think your experience reflects the entire country? It doesn't. It doesn't, okay? Um, if you just go, if you just go south of Tehran, you're gonna comp- experience something completely different. If you go to Qom, if you go from Upper Tehran to Qom, it is is it just you you feel like you just entered a new fucking planet, right? You go from a place. Let me okay, let me tell you how different the experience is. My mom, when she was alive, she told me that she went to the bank in Tehran, and this is Upper Tehran. And this woman, this chadori woman, and chador is like the kind of hijab that covers your entire body, right? And if you wear the chador, everybody knows that you're religious, or at least from a religious family, okay? Uh, because if you're not, you just go with the minimum thing possible. And you show some hair, you put the hijab, you, put, you make it colorful. Now these days, it's coming down, down, down. But this chadori woman was going in the bank, and she kept on trying to talk to the staff there to get her business you know to do something and everybody was ignoring her she kept on asking people and nobody was answering it eventually my mom grabbed her hand went to the teller and said like can you please answer her question and finally the guy answered and he was so rude he was like so disrespectful to her and then she got her stuff done and she left and then my mom when when it was her turn she said like why were you why were you cheating her like this she you were being so rude to her and they were all like agreeing that these religious, they were like, oh, these religious fuckers, they ruined our country, right? So this is the experience that a re- very religious Muslim woman was getting in Upper Tehran in Iran, which you could, you don't, most people think, can't think, don't seem to think that you would get in a religious country like Iran, right? Um, you know, you think that, that you know, anti Muslim religious Muslim discrimination may it's a, a, a white people or United States or these countries have a monopoly over, but no, apparently, like it's in Upper Tehran they experience this a religious woman. But then, if you go to another city, Qom, when I went to Qom, and I know it's changed a little bit since then, or maybe a lot, I couldn't find a woman that didn't have the chador, right? So, remember in Upper Tehran. One woman wearing the full chador, which means she's very religious, was getting bad treatment because she was very religious. But when you go to Qom, every woman was wearing the chador. I couldn't see, I couldn't find a single woman, and I've never seen more imams per, per square meter in my whole life, right? In Qom, right? So, and it's just a few hours driving away from Tehran. So again, it really depends where you are, what your family is like, what your environment is like. And the bizarre thing about my situation is that my family was extremely liberal, extremely secular, extremely anti-Mullah and everything and that, that, but I became religious, (laughs) right? I became religious and I was preaching Islam to them and was trying to get them to start praying, start fasting, stop, stop drinking alcohol. It was so annoying to them. In fact, even though they were an atheist, when I came out as any as atheist to them, their first reaction was, "Oh, thank God," because they were so <laughs> tired of my religious extremism. When I was in their own home, they were like, they were so anti-religious, and they had this 
religious police in their own home, which was so annoying to them, right? But anyways, that's that's just my a little bit about my story. But I mean, there's a lot more. I don't. There, I I could talk about hour. I could talk for hours about different things in Iran. But um, that's the story for another time. Yeah. I don't think we have that kind of time to talk for. I don't think we have that kind of time to talk no. for hours. You no, know, no. <laughs> but I could probably talk for hours about things that weird religious crap that happens in the United States. You know, we could we could probably easily go back and forth about you know the United States and Iran and stuff like that. Yep, actually, I wanted to ask you if you uh, encourage you to do something. Do you know about the Atheist Republic's uh, video report Facebook group? Yeah. Yes, actually, I do. Right, so you're in there. Um, yeah, I've seen you in there actually. Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, if you ever have any thoughts about anything U.S. or anything else related, just pick up your phone, right? Point it to yourself. I'm just suggesting this. You don't have to do this. Just record yourself talking for two, five, or ten minutes about whatever you want to talk about and post it in that group, right? And I'll just upload it on YouTube. And and I just want to get more uh, comments from the community so that's why we have that group. So please feel free to take advantage of that group. I'll definitely do that. Awesome. Thank you. And do it as many times as you want. The more, the better. Okay. Anything about anything in the news, anything on your mind, just do it. You know. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, most of the stuff that's pretty much in the news right now in the United States is pretty much all about Donald Trump. And there's never anything good unless you're, you know, listening to the right wing right wing news it's all about how he's an idiot and he's pissing other countries off which you know i mean yeah we got to be honest here i mean donald trump you know he, he is an idiot there's no doubt about that i mean if you read the shit that he posts on twitter is there no question in my mind that he's a dumb fuck but right. it doesn't matter right it doesn't matter what president there is we piss off, the United States pisses off other countries just by existing. Hmm. I don't know about that. Okay, so f- I think that's unfair. Okay, Trump is an idiot, but I, I, I'm less concerned about his Twitter dumb tweets. I'm more concerned about him selling weapons to Saudi Arabia and dropping it on uh, civilians in, in, in Yemen, right? That's, I think, what, that's those are the reasons why I'm anti-Trump. Honestly, if he had a million dumb tweets and had better policies, that would be fine to me. I don't care about his dumb th- tweets. The reason why I think, honestly, like, which one do you think is worse? A, tw- a tweet that doesn't make any sense or is spelled incorrectly or it doesn't make any logical sense? Or the fact that he's selling uh, weapons to people that we know is being used against civilians, right? On a massive scale, causing the greatest humanitarian crisis of our lifetime. I think those are the things that makes me um, anti-Trump, right? Um, that's... Hmm? Oh, no, I was going to say, see, that's bringing up a good point because that's uh, that's what makes me pretty much. It's not, you know, that doesn't just make me anti-Trump. It pretty much just makes me anti how do I put this without sounding like a... It makes me anti-political because, you know, it, it, it's... Um, 
it you know Trump Trump is doing it well. Obama did the same thing. Right, Obama Bush did yes. Thing. The next president's going to do the same thing. It doesn't matter who we have in office. Every single president is going to sell weapons of mass destruction to countries that are in our favor. Yeah, but it it is, but it does make a difference who's in power. I I don't think we can afford to be anti-political because if you just end the game, then you're never going to win. I think we have to be involved in politics. We have to pay the political claims because that's that's where the decisions are made. And to be and Obama also did commit these crimes and sold weapons to Saudi Arabia, but he did less. And honestly, it does make a difference if you're selling more or less. It does. I mean, even you know, just because they're evil, that doesn't mean we can't push for less evil and you have to you have to admit it, it is a lot everything is getting better everything is getting better and if it, one a book that you need if you want to read to to be convinced of that is this right Steven Pinker enlightenment now the world is getting better the world is getting better the news is always shitty but the world is getting better the world has most people feel it always feels like you're living in the worst of times but we've always been most people have always lived in the not always but most people have lived in the best of times right and we are also living in the best of times and we a lot of shit happens that is really shitty uh but that doesn't mean that things are not better than before things are much better than before and they continue to get better and we need to push back politically you know, against the positions that we don't like, right? We can't just say like, "Oh, politics sucks," so forget it. It, it, it. The reason why things are better, even though things still suck, but they are better than before, is because people f- got involved in politics, right? Um, and also, with regards to the U.S., U.S. is not like just one thing, right? U.S. is many things, and yet, you know, U.S. just like any other country, just like any other country has done shitty things. But every country, like show me a country that doesn't, hasn't done shitty things. The scale, maybe if you're a superpower, your shitty things are felt more, right? But I'm I'm really happy that United States is a superpower instead of Iran, right? Or even China, right? Right? So um, when it comes to superpowers, superpowers would do sh- shitty things. But if I had to choose which country would be the superpower, United States right now would be on top of the list, right? When it comes to the amount of harm other countries could have done if they were the superpower, right? Um, And another thing is that United States is not just responsible for the harms, but it's also responsible for a lot of the good that United States is responsible for around the world. Every time there is... Disaster, a natural disaster. United States is the first country to arrive. And it's the last country to leave. The last country to leave. When it comes to fighting disease, when it comes to fighting poverty around the world, when it comes to technology, look at how much people around the world are benefiting from you know, the internet, the social media, where did Google Maps, where did all this come from? It came from the United States, right? And even look at specific examples. Like one example I want to give is like, you know, Bush Jr., right? President Bush, right? We Most people, rem- when they, we talk about Bush, you what you remember is what? The Iraq War, right? 
which was a disaster. What? Yes. Which was a disaster. Yeah, which was a disaster, right? But people don't think about Bush's fight against AIDS. You, did you know that he fought against AIDS? Yes, I actually read that in an article once. He uh, he said, I believe what he did was he set he set up like a a campaign. I believe it was. I don't remember. I don't remember the exact. I don't remember the exact wording that the people used. But it was basically a um, he set up a thing to fight against AIDS in Africa. Right. And and if you look at what the result of what he did, the number of people that didn't die because of his fight against AIDS in Africa are higher than the number of people that died because of his war in in Iraq. I'm not in, I'm not excusing the war in Iraq, but I'm just saying there is other there's another side to the story as well, right? Like you have to take the whole thing into account, right? So think about that. No, like nobody. When when you think about Bush, I'm I'm not endorsing the guy. I'm just like trying to show that the story about these things are more. It's more complicated than that, right? Uh, when you you know the number of people this man saved in Africa are really high, but nobody thinks about that when they think Bush. They just think about the Iraq War. That's the only thing that comes to your mind, right? Again, I'm not in- excusing the things that he did, but I'm just saying we have to look at the full picture, right? Yeah, that's actually, yeah, yeah, it's true, because the th- top three things that usually comes to people's minds when they think about Bush is the the two failed wars on terrorism, because, you know, you can't, I mean, let's be honest, you can't have a war on, on, on an idea. You can, you can, but they didn't. They just, they, 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 United States did have a war against an idea before, but they won that war because they knew it was a war against idea that you can't just win with military force. The United States had a war against communism. Oh, yes. yes and that yes. was a war against an idea, but and because they recognized it was an ideological battle and not just a military battle, they won that war. Communism yes. as an idea has failed, right? But when they war against, when they want, the reason why they don't win against the war on terrorism is because they're only looking at the military option rather than actually having an ideological battle with terrorism. That's a good, yes, that's a good point. (laughs) Very good point. (laughs) The other two things that people think about when it comes to Bush is his, uh, the, uh, crippling debt the country was put into because of the wars mm. and the very, very, very low percentage of people who were employed during his tenure as president. Right, right, right. Right. But so, he did, you know, mm. he, even though, you know, he's, he was kind of a mixed president. Yeah, you know, he had, like all, almost all presidents are mixed presidents. You have some bad things over here mm. and you have some things over here. You know, I mean, People really like to crap all over his. Uh, let's uh, look at this. Uh, Hurricane Katrina, for example. Mm, you know, yeah. I mean, people like to crap all over that. But when it ha- when you got to remember when it happened, you know, no one could no one could have predicted exactly how large, how much damage was going to be. No one would have could could have could have actually predicted. The large scale damage that that a hurricane was going to do. So 
you know, and, you know, FEMA and all those other people setting up, setting up those camps for those people and stuff like that, putting, giving them places to go because like here, you know, here's some buses for you. Here's some, all the stuff for you go over here and stuff like that. We'll try, we try to repair this stuff for you and everything. You know, then you look at, uh, well, I don't know much about the, the, the details of that, but what, the reason why I think it's important to acknowledge the, you know, these other points is that, like, for example, when, when it comes to Trump, right? The economy is booming under Trump, okay? And that's, that's just the truth. But the fact is that if you deny that just because you're anti-Trump, like if I'm anti-Trump, then people can't take me seriously when I'm pointing to the real problems with his policies, right? Because they're like, well, of course you're going to say that because you're just anti-Trump. Whatever he does, you're never going to be happy, right? But if I acknowledge the fact that, okay, yeah, apparently economy is doing better under Trump, if, I, if I'm honest about that, then I have... When I say like, well, he was a war criminal for going for selling weapons to Saudi Arabia, knowing what it's being used for, I think that will be taken more seriously because mm. the people that follow me know know that I'm not just going to just say things because I'm anti-Trump, right? Because they know that when there's something that maybe is true, if I'm acknowledging it, then they're like, okay, so. If he's saying something against them, maybe this, there's more there's more to it. There's more credibility there. You know what I mean? At least the, the people that hate me, they, they don't care what I say. But the, at least the people that are constantly following me, they trust me a little bit more because of this, because of acknowledging these things like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. You know, it's actually a, uh interesting point because you know, I, re- I did say earlier that I was anti-political right. well a better way to frame it would phrase it would be i'm more anti-government than anti-political because you can be anti-government and be and be political right. i believe you know anti-government I, as in you don't want government to exist because we wouldn't we would be chaotic without a government no no, no i don't i mean if you want to no i'm not i'm not a uh anarchist uh, <laughs> I couldn't think of the word because I couldn't think of the word for a second. No, I'm not an anarchist. I mean, if you want a, uh, if you want a perfect example of what an anarchical society is like, you know, just pretty much look at everything that's happening in Somalia right now. Mm. Uh, you know, they they have. I mean, Somalia has no structured government right now. They have no actual government. So that mm. is a true anarchical society right there, and it's. Right. So I think the better way to say instead of being, saying you're anti-government is that you, you're in favor of limiting governments. Uh, you want to have checks and balances. You want to have you want to hold you want there to be a pushback. You want to hold that government accountable. Right. Basically, yeah. this is another part of enlightenment values going full circle. Right. Where Voltaire and other people in his time were in were promoting the idea that the needs the government's powers need to be you know put you know reviewed you know there needs to be pushback against the government's um you know authority uh, they weren't saying the government should be held responsible 
for what it does. So they weren't like they're not anti-government. They just want to make sure that the government is something that is there that you could criticize, you could attack, you could uh, dismantle, you could change, and it's there to serve the people. Uh, um, you know, and every time that it proves that it's not, there's a way to fix that. So I think uh, get government accountability is, again, part of Enlightenment values, which was introduced by Enlightenment thinkers in Western Europe. By the way, I'm, st- I'm, I'm reading more about Vol- Voltaire these days. The more I read about the guy, it's amazing. Um, you know, this is what we need to do. We need to reintroduce Enlightenment thinkers to the society. I think that's what we need to do. Right? One by one. We need to make them heroes. I, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Right. That'd be a really interesting thing to do. You know, I mean, I don't like a one by one be a good thing because you know I don't think that people would be. I don't know if like, ready. I don't know if ready is the right word for it, but I don't think people would be too accepting of them if they were they were uh, all brought forth at one time. Right. They just need to dole that out every now and then. Right, 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 right. Let's see, let's see. All right, so let's let do you, let's end it here. Right, we went uh, over an hour now, but I, that was fun for me. Thank oh, you. Oh yes, it was extremely fun for me too. Thank you very much <laughs> for having me. Yeah, yeah, this is fun. Let's do this again sometime. And again, yeah. I look, if you get if you ever feel like it, send a, post a video in that group. I would uh, very much like to see um, what you post and upload it. It's very simple. Just the phone, camera, record, post, right? I'll take care of the rest. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay, good. Talk to you later. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Atheists are under attack in many places. If they were Christians, their voices would be heard. If they were Jews, their voices would be heard. If they were Muslims, their voices would be heard. But they are atheists, and not many seem to be listening. Let's make it difficult for them to ignore us. We have built a global community, and now we are tearing down geographic, cultural, and language barriers so we can find each other and support each other. In the last decade, we have built the largest atheist community in the world. Now we are doing the same in other languages. With your help, we have started Atheist Republic in Persian and Arabic. انضميت مؤخرا لأسرة Atheist Republic وحيصير عندي بودكاست باللغة العربية. As we grow, we can dedicate more time, staff, and resources to start doing the same in Spanish, Portuguese, Malay, Bengali, Urdu, Hindi, and other languages. We are providing community, support, informative content, and amplifying the voices of those who need protection, especially in countries where people feel isolated simply for their lack of belief. We want to be there for them, and we are only getting started. Help us get there. Check in the description for ways you can support our projects.